and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Well, hey, if you're new here, my name is Chad Stewart. I served in the role that Chris Campbell has been in from 2019 to about 2023. Not the same role as playing music. Chris is way more talented than I am. I didn't do any of that. Um, But, um, so... Uh, starting last year, me and my wife moved to Atlanta, and I got, a, got some advice from a pastor there who said, hey, before you think about doing anything in Atlanta, spend the year, chill out, learn to grieve what Atlanta grieves, learn to celebrate what they celebrate. So that's what we did for the whole year. It was the hardest year of my life. Um, um, not, uh, not going into anything, but it was such a wise decision. But um, at the start of this year, I started with me and about two other people starting to enter into um, our evangelism skills. Uh, and the main thing that I do is I form discipleship relationships and with people in Atlanta. What that means is I do it with religious nuns who are the biggest single group in the United States. Most people, when they talk to me, they're like, oh, so you go the, to the unreached people groups. I was like, no, there's a lot of people that do that, and they do wonderful work in that. I just go for your regular person who's walking around Atlanta who identifies as being spiritual but not religious. And that's the single, single largest group in, in Atlanta is the single largest group in the United States. And so basically, I look to form relationships with them, walk with them in their faith, with not an agenda, but a hope that they would believe in Jesus and walk with me in that, and that we could plant a church amongst their own network of people. The second way I form discipleship relationships is with churches. So an example would be right now, I'm uh, in a relationship with a church in Boston, taking them through some of our skills and a posture in which we uh, posture ourselves towards religious nuns and people that have no faith, in a way not to treat people as a project, not to get them to make a decision right here and now, but I believe it's a way that posters the church to love and care and value people who don't know Jesus. I grew up as someone who did not know Jesus, um, and I really resonate with, like, these people have authentic things to tell us about our faith, about who we are, about the work we're doing in the world. And so I work with churches and build relationships with them. And so basically 2024, I'm doing my work in Atlanta, but at the same time, I'm with a group called Exponent. How many of you guys have ever heard Seth Bussell quote, quoted in here? You've heard him come and preach a sermon. I work with him and his team. And so I'm spending most of my year 2024 fundraising and doing stuff like that for my position with them. But before I jump off, I want to tell you one story because I hate just giving you information. I just like telling stories. And this one is not mine. Um, It's a guy who's working with me. I'm not going to tell you. If you want to know how he came to faith, I'd love to tell you. It's miraculous. It's crazy. But Matthew, but Maxwell became a Christian this time last year. Uh, miraculously through hearing just a song and humming it and it was a hymn and he gave his life to Jesus. So he's been figuring out his faith for a year. I met him and about uh, four weeks ago, he decides he's been walking with me. He knows that he's about to walk with me through some skills training and Maxwell was just like, I think I'm gonna start reaching out to people. He has no clue what he's doing at all. I mean, this guy just gung, just 
just gung-ho. So he lives in Decatur, and he goes, okay, I'm going to Whole Foods. So he's on the Whole Foods. He's praying, God, let me run into someone. So he gets there, and this guy starts complaining to him about his life for like 15 minutes. And he stops the guy and goes, hey, why are you complaining to me? And the guy goes, well, man, you just look like a nice guy. But like in the midst of that, Maxwell was like, man, I have a friend I haven't seen in five years who could really help you out. So this guy is complaining about five more minutes. He looks over. There's that friend he hasn't seen in five years. So Maxwell's like, okay. He stops it, goes over, grabs this guy, connects them, and they figure stuff out. And his friend goes after that, was like, hey, Maxwell, what are you into these days? And Maxwell's like, hey, this may be really weird to you, but I started following Jesus a year ago. His friend goes, that is super weird. Um, um, his friend is like, that's not the Maxwell we knew. And Maxwell was just like, yeah, well, man, we're going to make a God of something in our lives. Um, I found that Jesus fills that hole a lot better than all these other vices that we used to get into and all that. And his friend looks at him and just goes, man, that sounds amazing. And then Maxwell is just like, well, you want to meet with me? Sure. So this guy has brought his wife with him, and they're meeting with Maxwell. Maxwell has no clue what he's doing. He's not an expert. He hasn't taken any skill training at all, and he's way better than I am. Um, and so basically, that's just one example of what we do. We just meet people at where they're at, where they live, work, learn, and play, and we'll look for opportunities to give the gospel of the kingdom. And so that's what I do. If you have more questions, come talk to me. But in our scripture today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. In verse 2, it says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make these shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. And as they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks, buddy. No problem. <laughs> um... I want to do one thing before we jump in, and I just want to, uh, if it's okay with you, I just want to pray for a second. Our community's had a tough week, and um, we can't, you know, we don't always respond to everything. This week has just been uh, extra tough. So if it's okay, uh, this is the vineyard. I, I, we don't have any other thing to know what to do in places than uh, to pray and to show up as best we can. And so I just want to pray for that, and then we'll jump in. So... Father, uh, I am grateful that you are a God that I believe is near to the world. And some weeks that is um, hard to see, and some weeks that is incredibly tangible. And, and so I just, um, more than anything else, I, I just would ask that um, your spirit be present and near in our community that you would uh, fill us with the things that come alongside your presence, that you would fill us with peace and you would fill us with hope, that you would fill us with uh, grief, that as we grieve a 
horrible tragedy that you would uh, enter into that grief, that we would find solidarity with you in it. Um, We just ask for your presence. We uh, ask you to bless and keep uh, the family and loved ones of Officer McGowan. We, We ask that you would uh, bless and keep uh, the the families all across our community who whose lives have forever been changed uh, by what happened on Thursday and and I ask that you would keep um, you would bring safety keep safety uh, we pray for the law enforcement officers in this church who are actively uh, in, involved in all that's going on um, I pray that you would fill them with wisdom and courage and kindness. We just pray. We, we pray for all of the families. We pray for the Alcoa community. Um, and then I pray as people that you would fill us with wisdom and courage and kindness. That you would fill us with those things as we have conversations, as we interact on social media, as we um, live in this world and live in this community. As people who love you, people who want to bear and bring your peace into the world, I just pray that you would... Uh, Fill us with prayers. Would you fill us with words? Would you give us actions? Would you, uh, I don't know, would you walk with us as we walk in our town? Uh, We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Um, I needed that before we start, so thank you. Um, We're going to talk about the story that, that Chad just talked about, the transfiguration. We talk about it. Every year about this time, Um, but in order to do that, I want to tell you uh, about something that happened recently. Um, A couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris and Aaron and I went to New York City to do a staff retreat, and um, it was a lot of fun. Um, We met with Seth that Chad just talked about, and and it was a lot of work, like it seems, you know, it sounds fun for, for people to go to the city, and it was, but we did tons and tons of work. But um, every once in a while, we would, like, leave our little, there's a vineyard church there that we stay at. It's kind of amazing. And uh, they have this library where we were just, like, planning the entire year and, and, and working on vision for the whole year. And, and we would leave our hole, and we would go around the city. And uh, one of the places that we ended up was uh, the New York Public Library, which is a, a truly lovely place. Uh, if you've never been. Um, uh, library, I feel, is misleading because there aren't any books uh, in it. Well, I mean, there's like a couple of books, but there really aren't very many books at all. There are like really pretty tables and ceilings and things like that, but uh, but not a lot of books. Um, but while we were there, they had this exhibit, um, and it was an exhibit called Treasures. So it was treasures that belong to the New York City Public Library that they were putting on display for everybody to see. And it, it was really, I mean, I'm a nerd, but it was very cool stuff. Like um, one of them, they had like original perspective drawings of Grand Central Station uh, that showed like the perspective of all of the, the subways and trains below ground and then the building above ground uh, for you architecture nerds, which is just me and Paul, I think. Um, but <laughs> it was, the, I don't know, it was just the coolest. Um, they had uh, all kinds of things. They had an original Audubon book. If you, the two, you know, bird lookers in the room are like, yes, I know the Audubon. The, I mean, I'm really, there were cooler things. What else did I write down? Charles Dickens' desk. We're not, I'm not helping this, am I? Um, uh, there was a Gutenberg Bible, if you're a Christian. Um, <laughs> there was, 
there, were, there was a hand, a hand, this was cool. It was a draft of, I know why the cage bird sings by Maya Angelou in, written in her hand. It was very, very cool. Um, and then um, one of the coolest things that was there uh, was they had the original stuffed animals uh, that belonged to a boy named Christopher Robin Milne, whose dad is A.A. A. Milne, who wrote Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Emily, or, uh, Emily, Misty, <laughs> I like looked at Emily and saw you. Misty, I think we, do you have the picture up? It's maybe at the end of the sermon. Cool. Okay. Um, okay. This is what we saw. It was very cool. Uh, the, I, I don't know if you know, but the story of Winnie the Pooh is based on like, an actual teddy bear that belonged to this boy named Christopher Robin and, and his little collection of stuffed animals. So like in the picture, if you can see, there's Tigger and there's Kanga and Eeyore. And then that tiny creepy little thing in the corner is Piglet. He was terrifying. Like think more voodoo doll than like cute little like Piglet bunny or bunny, uh, pig. Huh. Um, <laughs> I was scarred by Piglet, <laughs> if I'm really honest with you. But it was a very cool thing. And actually, if I'm also very honest with you, I actually missed the Bible because I was looking at Winnie the Pooh and really just like geeking out over this. Um, and Winnie the Pooh and the Grand Central Architecture. Uh, but I loved it. And then, so we saw this and it was, I don't know, it was just kind of cool to see that. And then um, a few days later, I was reading an article uh, by a pastor, I love Eugene Peterson, who I quote, I don't know, pretty much every week. Um, and it, from like the 90s in Christianity Today. It's a really super old article. But in the article, he uh, was talking about how he and his wife were reading Winnie the Pooh uh, together at night. And she would read him the stories every night. Uh, and he's like in his 60s at this point when this is happening. Um, but he said he had this like epiphany, uh, which this feels like a very good season for epiphanies. Um, uh, and he has this epiphany while he's reading this one chapter. And, and what's happening in the chapter is that uh, Winnie, uh, Christopher Robin is taking Winnie the Pooh and like his whole crew on an adventure. And they're going on this quest to find the North Pole. And they're going to travel around until they find the North Pole. And each of the characters like bring something to the quest. They bring something to help the, the journey, the adventure, um, except uh, Pooh hasn't done that yet. And so at some point, uh, Rue, who is, I think, the child of Kanga, um, unpictured in the stuffed animals, um, but Rue falls into this like stream or like river thing. And, um, and uh, Winnie the Pooh finds a stick and like throws the stick out to help rescue and like pull in Rue from this river. And, um, he, and, and so he pulls him and that's like the, his addition to the quest. And at one point, Christopher Robin looks at Pooh after uh, Rue is safe and sound. And he says, where, Pooh, where did you find that pole? And Pooh says, I just found it. Like, I picked it up because it seemed useful, and I just found it. And then Christopher Robin announces to the entire group that Pooh has found the North Pole. That he found the stick, and it's the North Pole. And so as a group, they, they take the, the stick, or the pole now, and they, they, they put it in the ground, and they tie a message to it. And the message says this, North Pole, discovered by Pooh. Pooh found it. <laughs> And then they, they end their journey because their journey's done. They found the North Pole. They, they accomplished their quest. And, um, and I, don't, I don't know if it was just like being in the city and, and seeing Winnie the Pooh and then reading this article or, or whatever it was that made me. I haven't been able to think about this or stop thinking about this uh, as I think about the story that Chad just read us. 
Um, like I said, every single year, the Sunday before Lent, we talk about this exact story. We talk about the story of the transfiguration when Jesus and Peter and uh, John and James, they go up to the mountain and they see this absolutely incredible thing. Uh, they go up on the mountain and, and Jesus transfigures into something different. He, he becomes something unexpected. Uh, John, the writer, tells us that he uh, becomes a glowing, dazzling white. And then uh, Moses and Elijah, they, they appear before them. These dead prophets are suddenly uh, undead, and, and it's incredible. And it's so, so good uh, that uh, in Peter's version of this story, we learn that Peter, it's so, so good that he wants to keep it. He wants to keep it in, and he wants to stay. He wants to build houses for Jesus and Elijah and Peter. Essentially, this is my thinking from the Winnie the Pooh stuff. Essentially, I feel like what it is is that Peter wants to like stick a pole into the ground and declare, this is it. Like, this is the North Pole. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is God's kingdom on the earth, on this mountain. This is it. We don't need to go any further. We've found it. We've experienced this. Because I, I think in that moment for Peter, it was. It, it was it. Uh, this had to be one of the wildest experiences of his entire life. A glowing man and dead prophets walking and, and talking. It, it had to seem like uh, in his mind it was like the great culmination of everything that Jesus had been talking about and everything that Jesus had been teaching him. And I'm sure he imagined that this moment um, was the fullness of God that Jesus had been talking about. The ultimate experience of witness between God and man and dead prophets walking around. Uh, and and, and uh, uh, Mark tells us, in Mark's version of the gospel, is actually Peter's version of the gospel. Uh, and he tells us that in classic Peter fashion, he doesn't know what to say. I, I think that is my life first. Uh, in the Bible, he didn't know what to say, so he blurted out. That feels like how I've lived my life. Um, he just blurts out and he's like, let's move here. Let's put our poles in the ground here. And let's tie some words on it. Kingdom of God. Discovered by Peter. Peter found it. <laughs> Except, and I mean this with every ounce of affection uh, in the world, as usual, Peter doesn't get it. It's like the story of his life. It's why I love him so much. He, he doesn't quite discover it. But then uh, uh, the, the writers tell us that a cloud covers the mountain. And in this cloud comes the audible voice of God from heaven. And for a second time in the scriptures, we talked about the other one a few weeks ago, we have God the Father speak from the heavens about his son. And so from, from the sky, they hear God saying, this is my boy whom I love dearly. Listen to him. And luckily uh, for us, they, they do. They, they listen to him. Peter and James and John, they follow Jesus back down the mountain. And when I like read it imaginatively and I picture it, I still picture Peter looking back like, I'm going to trust you, but we had something special up there, you know, kind of walking, but looking behind him, pretty sure they're walking away from something major into just regular life again. But these men, they, they walk down the mountain with their eyes open uh, following. That's what happens when a light comes on, Right. 
when a light comes on in the world, our, I'm, uh, medical professionals, you can nod or shake your heads. My understanding is when a light comes on, our eyes open, right? They, our eyes open toward the light. This is, this is what's happening. They see Jesus and he lights up. He's as bright as bleach. They, he's lit up. He's illuminated. And they cannot help but watch him to continue to keep their eyes on him. Uh, our eyes adjust to follow what's illuminated. That's what's happening in their lives. And as they do, uh, Jesus uh, offers them a whole new way of seeing the world. It's, it's some of his great work in their life to give them new eyes, to give them fresh eyes, to give them epiphany eyes. We've been talking for weeks about new eyes on old stories. I think that that's part of the work of this mountain experience with Peter and James and John is Jesus offering them new eyes uh, for old stories. Eyes with a fresh view, a new hope, a new way of seeing the world. Uh, Eugene Peterson calls it, uh, says that Jesus is always offering us a new aesthetic, a new way of seeing. They've experienced a power and a supernatural moment beyond anything they've ever seen. And their way of viewing the world switches. And the rest of their journey with Jesus, if you keep reading after this story, it, it becomes a series of them getting new eyes to see things of uh, them rethinking, of them re-seeing, of them adjusting their aesthetic impulses, uh, their, their way of seeing shifts, shifts their way of uh, looking at the world, it changes. Uh, because this is what Jesus does. Uh, one of his moves is to change the way we see uh, everything. Walking with Jesus is uh, partly inviting him to become the lens through which we see the world, through which we see everything and everyone. Uh, God says, uh, this is my boy, dearly loved, listen to him. And they do, and they never see the world the same again. Uh, like I said, I think Peter probably thought that they'd peaked, that they had seen the fullness of God's kingdom on the earth, that they had seen it all on the mountain. He was ready to build a house there and like, you know, buy property and put up a pool. But if you've read the, the rest of the story of Peter's life, he ain't seen nothing yet. There are crazier things that are about to happen in his life. Instead of moving into this moment, Jesus invites Peter into a new way of seeing. He was given, again, new eyes fresh eyes, uh, a fresh perspective on his life, uh, a, fresh, a fresh perspective on his faith up there on the mountain. And so if Jesus was going down the mountain, so was Peter. Because at this point, Peter exists within the company of Jesus. He walks with Jesus. And I just think that uh, part of the gift of Epiphany season is, is uh, uh, for us is very similar to what it was for Peter and James and John that day. I think one of the things that Jesus is also offering us is new eyes to see the world. Uh, a new way of seeing, a shift in perspective, a shift in pers uh, uh, perception. Uh, I want to read a quote by Eugene Peterson who I keep talking about. And um, Misty's going to put it on the screen because it is very long. And I had to Google over two of the words. Um, but it's so good. So we'll read together. The aesthetic impulse in spiritual theology i.e. how we see the world uh, theologically or how we see the, the world with godly eyes. Uh, the aesthetic impulse in spiritual theology has to do with training in perception, with acquiring a taste for what is being revealed in Jesus. We are not good at this. Our senses have been dulled by sin. The world, for all its vaulted celebration of sensuality, is relentlessly anesthetic. 
obliterating feeling and ugliness and noise, draining out the beauty of people and things so that they are functionally efficient, scornful of the aesthetic except as it can be contained in a museum or a flower garden. Our senses require healing and rehabilitation so that they are adequate for receiving and responding to visitations and the appearances of the Spirit, of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, What he's saying is this. He's saying that our impulse when it comes to seeing the world in a spiritual way uh, requires some training. It requires uh, acquiring a taste for what God is actually up to and doing in the world, for what God is revealing of himself in the world through Jesus. Our uh, impulses to see, they require a perspective shift in Jesus. Uh, Our senses, what we hear and touch and smell and see, they they require healing and rehab so that we can be ready to receive uh, the visits of the Holy Spirit or the appearances of the Holy Spirit all over our lives. Uh, One of the most significant parts, I think, of discipleship, that's why I'm pounding it over and over and over again, uh, or of growing faith in Jesus is a shift in vision. It's opening uh, up to see uh, a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way of seeing uh, the world. It happened for the disciples on uh, that mountain. They, they get this new way uh, of seeing things. And, and I don't know if um, when Jesus shifts into the like, I'm kind of stuck all week on him being the color of bleach, like this glow. Like, I don't know if he shifts into something or it's just like the way they see him uh, shifts into something. But regardless, it's, he's, he's, it's a change in perspective. And what I know about these three men is when they walk down the mountain, uh, they see Jesus differently than they did before they got there. They they have a new picture of him, a new picture of the world. Um, Some of you understand this like innately. You know that the longer or the closer you walk with Jesus, this is one of the ways that he works in your life. He, He starts to shift how you see things. You start to see things differently, big things and uh, small things. Uh, one of the first things, places that I noticed this in my own life um, was in movies. I, I found myself, I would start to feel really, I'm not usually a crier, but I would start to feel really weepy uh, in movies that were not particularly like sad or grievy uh, movies because in them I started to see like a story behind the story. I started to see that this, there was like this lost and broken or hurting and confused person, this, this underdog, and they uh, would go on this quest that leads them to the true north or to like the thing that they were belonging to. And, and then they leave the quest different than they became. And I started to see my story and that story. The first one I remember this happening in is Mrs. Doubtfire. Has anyone seen that? Like, it's not sad. But I was just like a puddle. Uh, Armageddon. I mean, it was really like these, these movies. The Goonies, Field of Dreams, uh, Simon Birch. That one actually said, I'm still crying. Has anyone seen Simon Birch? You're still crying if you have. It's the pits. Um, but I started to see. I started to see these, these stories. And it wasn't just movies. It happened in books and art. I, the way I heard music shifted. The, uh, I just started to find the story of hope and the story of God, the story of rescue. And I just I started finding it everywhere. And I started to notice that I was seeing the world differently, my friends differently, my family differently, my, my neighbors, my coworkers, the people who sat next to me in class. I just started to, to see them differently. It, when I look back, Jesus has quite literally redefined the way I see almost everything in my entire life. The way I see money, the way I see time, 
the way I define the word enemy and then what I do about it, the way I think about things like hope and joy and peace and love, the way I see people in relationships, it has changed forever and it hasn't stopped. It's still changing. I've followed Jesus for years, but he's never stopped offering me a new lens to see everything. Uh, Jesus throughout my life has continued over and over and over again to give me a new aesthetic, to treat what is uh, numb in my life by giving it vision, by infusing it with hope, by putting the story of of resurrection in it. I, I can't tell you how many times, like Winnie the Pooh, I have like wanted to stick a pole in the ground and been like, this is it. I've learned it, or I've done it, or this is where I'm going. And every time Jesus is like, like, have you seen it this way? Uh, here's an example. Um, my enti- I moved to Blount County when I was, I think, like five, first grade. Um, and uh, when, when I moved here, every memory I have is I liked this place, but I just wanted to get out of it. Anyone else? Yeah, <laughs> I love how fast that hand went up. Soul sister. Um, I just want to get out of this place. Like, um, it's nice, but not for me if that makes sense. And, and, and I feel like a few years ago, legitimately, uh, I went from like, how on earth can I get out of here to Jesus redefining the way I saw Blunt County. I felt like he was like, okay, I see that you want out, but what if you stayed? And like, what if you like planted a life here and like a family here? And then what if you like fell in love with this place? And then what if you planted like a whole church like, what if, we, what if we stayed? And it just, like, shifted my way. I used to joke that the, the sign that said, Welcome to Blount County, should say, Welcome to Blount County, you'll be stuck forever. And Johnny used to say, it should say, Welcome to Blount County, dot, 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 heaven. And I feel that way now. Like, I really didn't. If you know me at all, I was like, God, get me out of here. And now I'm like, why would anyone ever leave? We have everything. We have a target. We're fine. You know, it shifted. He has shifted uh, my view of things. So much of my seeing uh, in Christ has become re-seeing or rethinking. Um, the more I walked with Jesus, the more I started to see, I said this, I just started to see resurrection everywhere, like new life and new hope everywhere. Uh, I've said this a lot uh, from here. It's a familiar quote, but N.T. Wright says that part of our job as followers of Jesus is that we should be collectors of resurrection stories, that we should be the people in the room who can see how something dead or broken or busted could find new hope and new life and new rhythms and new flourishing. That's, that's, that's who we're supposed to be. And I feel like that's been true in my life, that, that one of the gifts of God has been to offer me resurrection uh, stories ever. Like, I, um, I, we went to this marriage class that we've been announcing. A few of us went yesterday to this marriage class. And I was sitting in this class, and I was just overwhelmed by the reality that, that God has allowed me to see resurrection in so many places. But one of them is my marriage. Like, I cannot tell you how many times Jesus has dared me to reimagine the way I see Daniel or offered me new perspective on Daniel. And I, and I felt like uh, Jesus was giving me eyes to see that Daniel and I have watched something that was once uh, dead or maybe should have been dead come back to life and flourish and grow. I have become a collector of resurrection stories in my own life and my own family. So how does this happen? How do you get these eyes or how do you recognize these eyes? How do we open ourselves up in a way that allows the Holy Spirit to access our lives and offer us a new aesthetic or a new view of the world? 
Uh, I think the secret is found in the scriptures that Chad read uh, in verse 7, this, this verse. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. How do we do it? This is my son. This is my boy. He's dearly loved. Listen to him. Listen to him. If you're wondering how to start on that, whether Jesus is brand new to you or you have been following him for years, I think it begins with one of our senses. It begins with listening. If I could point you anywhere in the world, it would be to the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. And it's just this sermon. And I guarantee if you read it, you're going to be like, I think I see things differently. (laughs) Like It's just a new way of seeing the world, a new way of seeing ethics and, and all kinds of things. Uh, here's, here's another thing. We listen. I think there's another step to this. And I'm a preacher, and I probably have to say this, so don't roll your eyes. Johnny got up and left because he knows what's coming. The best way for me to learn how to listen is, uh, and to find new eyes is through prayer. Like, it really just is. It's through prayer. A few years ago, um, my practice of prayer kind of shifted. Um, and uh, because I started to become familiar with some spiritual practices that just took my, like, dear God, will you let me get an A on this test? That's a fine prayer. Um, but it, went, it took that prayer to something different, something deeper, something that um, was a little bit more life-changing for me. Um, And these spiritual practices, they're basically ways, sometimes new, mostly ancient, um, that that are ways to see the things of faith Um, in order to help me, like, uh, they they help train us in perception, in healing for our senses. Uh, These practices, they're things like, oh, (laughs) they're things like the examine and imaginative prayer and breath prayer. We actually have resources for all of this stuff out on the info table. There are little cards that say try at the top and they have different resources for how to do this. We, we talk about things around here a lot uh, together. Uh, We have resources for all of them out there, but, um, but we talk about these things and we practice these things because they're perspective shifters. There are ways that we learn how to see with new eyes, hear with new ears, think with a new way uh, of thinking. They are perspective shifters. They are, in my experience, uh, healers of senses. They are rehabbers of vision. These prayers and, and others like them, they've become really significant in my life as I try to pay attention to who God is and, and to what he's about and what he's actually up to and doing in the world. And in the last few years, uh, I've seen that these prayers have given me new eyes uh, to see not just God differently or the world differently, uh, but myself differently. Um, I remember uh, a few years ago, I read a, a book by a guy named Brennan Manning. I, quote, I think I only quote like the five same people over and over again. But um, Brennan Manning, he, and he, I read in this book, and, he, and I read this sentence, and it irked me. I, I did not like it. Here's the sentence. He says, define yourself as one radically loved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. And I thought it was a lovely quote, but I also thought, nope. Like, like, I can define you as one's radically loved by God. I think that with every part of my being. That God loves you, that his stance towards you is single and relentless. It is just a stance of love towards you. I, I think that. I think that about my family. I think that about my kids. All radically loved by God. Like, even this week, like, praying for all of the madness in our community, it's, like, radically loved by God. But I could not, for the life of me, believe that about me. 
Like I thought it about you, but I couldn't find it about me. And then I started uh, to pray and read differently. I don't know what to say. Uh, I tried imaginative prayer, which is just like reading the Bible with imagination and openness to how the Holy Spirit might move in it. I tried a prayer called the examine, and uh, I know you, you, the examine is you just kind of look. This has probably been more formational than anything in my life. You look at your days. And you see the consolations, the hard stuff, you see, or the good stuff, you see the desolations, the hard stuff, and you just start to see them, that, that our days aren't all good and they aren't all bad. And you see that the people that you interact with, they're not all good and they're not all bad. And then you start to find that you're not all good and you're not all bad. And, and something happened for me in this prayer uh, where I found that God was loving me in and out of my days, that I was one uh, radically loved by God. I started doing the enemy's prayer. Don't worry, we're not doing it today. Uh, if you've been here a while, you got real antsy in your seat. Um, another one called react and respond that we are doing today. Um, th- these, these practices, they started to form me. They started to give me new eyes and fresh vision. Uh, God has used these practices in prayer to, to not just uh, see the world differently, as I said, but also to see how he sees me uh, differently. New eyes to see God's nearness to the world, but also his nearness to me, his heart for me. Um, And I started to, uh, through these practices, acquire a taste for resurrection in my own soul and in my own life, all around me, but also inside me. And slowly, I've started to define myself as one radically loved by God, to, to rid myself of the false self and try to inherit this true identity of who I am. Our senses, they require training. It doesn't just happen. They're They require practice. They require healing and rehab in order to get uh, back to the point where we can retrain our senses into the way of the kingdom. And I think it's a good thing for us to uh, invite the Holy Spirit into that work. Uh, Walking with Jesus means learning to have an epiphany view in our lives, new eyes and fresh ways of seeing. So I want to do a practice all together. Are my screens busted? Are they working? They're not. Okay. Great. Uh, that's perfect. Um, I'm, we're just going to do it together. So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you a practice, and it's pretty simple. It's one we've done around here. Um, and it, is, it has been a new eyes practice in my life. Um, and, and, and I use this in situations where I'm really frustrated uh, or I'm really confused. I've got my feelings hurt. Like just those situations that you're just like, that are just causing a reaction. Are you with me? Um, and it's a prayer. It's just called react and response. Someone took therapy and prayer and combined them and produced this good thing. Um, and so this is what, this is what the prayer is, is uh, you do four steps. The first step is you say, I feel, and you fill in the blank. I'm going to use the fact that the screens aren't working, okay? I feel a little vulnerable because my words aren't up there, right? So I want to react by, that's the second part. So I feel, second part, I want to react by. I want to react by making a lot of jokes, too many jokes about not being a mega church. Okay? I feel I want to react by. But the truth is, TVs break, and they don't work, and they do it a lot around here, <laughs> and that's okay. But, so I will respond by not making a joke about a mega church. <laughs> okay, that's a silly example. So it's four sets. I feel... I want to react with, I want to react by, but the truth is, and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill that in, so I will respond by. 
I'm going to be really honest. I do this prayer a lot. I can, I can do it by memory because I do it so much. Um, usually it takes three or four times for me because usually I get to the truth and I'm like, but they are the worst. That's the truth. That, my child is the worst or whatever, you know, whoever. Um, okay, so sometimes it takes a few, um, but we're going to try it together. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I swear I'm not going to make you raise your hand or stand up or, you know, give money or something. We're just going to close our eyes. This is you and the Lord. That's what Selah is in our church. It's just you and the Lord. Um, and I, we're just going to do this practice together. We're going to invite Jesus to give us new eyes to see. So Holy Spirit, would you give us new eyes to see a situation in our lives, one that has us tripped up that you might want to infuse with truth or infuse with hope. So the first thing I want you to do with your eyes closed, uh, if that's comfortable for you, is think of a situation. What, what is making you anxious or angry or sad or confused? What is bothering you right now? Okay, and now we're going to pray into this thing. So you've got your thing. And the first prayer is you're just going to finish the sentence. I feel and then fill in the blank. How do you feel? Just like, don't, you don't have to sense it. You can do like your actual feelings. If you're mad, be mad. If you're sad, be sad. I feel. Okay, next part. Based on those feelings, uh, finish this sentence. So I want to react by, or I want to react with. And I would encourage you again, this is not a time to filter. This is prayer. This doesn't mean you're going to do this. So what, what do you actually, how do you actually want to react? Do you want to chew that person out? Do you want to tell everybody how awful they are because no one knows? Do you want to forget God because he's confusing? How do you want to react? In this next part, we will invite the Holy Spirit into. But the truth is, like me, you may get stuck on this one for quite a while, but what does the Holy Spirit want to show you is the truth? What's the truth about this person that they may not be all bad? What's the truth about God's presence in the place that you found him to be absent? What's the truth about your feelings or your reaction? What is so the truth is fill in the blank. And then finally, so I will respond with or I will respond by. Where is it that God is giving you new eyes 
and new truth? And where are those new eyes and those new truths leading you into action? I will respond by not saying anything. I will respond by apologizing. I'll respond by forgiving. I will respond by continuing to show up for this problem until it settles. I I don't know your answer, but I'm going to give you a few minutes on it. I will respond by.